thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, today is the final day of 2017, and so I want to finish the year uh, with just giving a challenge and an encouragement as we uh, move into 2018, really a challenge for as Christians, how we should respond to the world around us who is lost. You know, we, we live in a very sinful world, and because of our sin, we have a world full of people that are broken, that are hopeless, that are lost. I mean, if you, you turn on the news, you it doesn't take long to see how depraved our country is, how depraved our, our world is, just how broken, hopeless, and lost people are. And, you know, I'm sure each one of us have experienced the feeling of, of being broken, of being hopeless and lost, because the reality is before we came and accepted Jesus Christ, we were broken. And we were hopeless and lost because of our sin. And without Jesus, you can't be made whole. You can't be really someone who has hope uh, and you can't be saved. Without Jesus, the void in people's lives will not change. Without Jesus, the spiritual state of people will not change. Without Jesus, people's eternity will not change. When you're without Jesus, you're ultimately broken and hopeless and lost. But when you have Jesus, you're whole. When you have Jesus, you have hope and so much. When you have Jesus, you have salvation. With Jesus, your situation can change. With Jesus, your life can change. And most importantly, with Jesus, your eternity can change. With Jesus, this world that we look at and we see all these problems, that really is where change will take place. And as Christians, we have Jesus. We have the hope that Jesus brings. We have the wholeness that Jesus brings. We have the salvation that Jesus brings. And we need to share that wholeness and hope and salvation with a world that is broken, a world that is hopeless, a world that is lost. You know, our world is looking to be whole. Our world is looking for hope. It's looking for fulfillment. It's looking for something to fill the void in their life. They're ultimately looking to be saved, even though some of them don't recognize they need it. But this world is searching for peace. They're searching for things that they'll never find outside of Jesus Christ. But the great thing is we know where they can find it. We have the message of hope and wholeness and salvation for them. And we are the ones who can bring that to this world who so desperately needs it. You know, our passage this morning, we're going to see a man who is broken, a man who is hopeless and lost, a man who really is physically broken. He has this physical ailment and he is hopeless to change his situation and he is spiritually lost and in desperate need of salvation. We're also going to see Peter and John, who are disciples of Jesus, who have experienced the wholeness and the hope and the salvation that Jesus offers. And Peter and John are going to meet this man who's broken and hopeless and lost, and they're going to respond to him in a way that is a great challenge for us. And it's the the challenge that I want us to take into 2018 of, of how we can respond to people in this world, in our culture, in our surrounding towns 
towns and cities that we see who we recognize are broken because of their sin. They're lost because of their sin. They're hopeless because of their sin. This response we're going to see in this passage is a challenge for us of how we should respond to the world around us. And we're really going to see four practical ways, four practical things that Peter and John do that I want to encourage us to be doing as we move into this new year of 2018. So Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 10 is what we're going to be looking at this morning and let's see what we can learn. It says this, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So in these verses, we have three people that are, are part of this story, and they're three significant people. First, we have Peter and John, disciples of Jesus. They followed Jesus for three years, but something right before this event has happened to them, one of the most significant events of their lives, they have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were there in the upper room with the disciples of Jesus, and the Spirit of God fills them and empowers them. And, and right after that, Peter, who denied Jesus three times not long before this now stands up boldly in front of a large crowd and proclaims the first sermon and the first gospel message and 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus Christ and so we see the Holy Spirit do a miracle through Peter and John and now we're going to see something else miraculous that the Holy Spirit does through Peter and John as they encounter the third man that I want us to take note of in this story and it's a man that we're told who was lame and we're given a few important details about this man. First of all, we're told that he was lame from his mother's womb. So from birth, he's had some kind of ailment that has made him lame, unable to walk. Now, secondly, in Acts 4.22, we're told how old this man was. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So from birth, this man has had this issue, and he's now over 40 years old. So for 40 years, this man hasn't been able to walk. He's been lame. He has had this problem in his life. Thirdly, we're told back in verse 2 that this man was carried, and they laid him daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. And the reason that he was carried and placed in front of this gate at the temple was so that he could beg for alms, to beg for money. That's the way that he survived because he had no capacity to work. And so his survival was based on people's generosity. And so he sat there and begged. So this man is over 40 years old and all his life he's been 
lame, he can't walk, he can't get around, and every day he's dependent on people to carry him to the temple, place him in front of this gate so that he can beg for money. So here is a man who is broken, a man who is in a hopeless situation, and I'm sure that now after 40 years he has resigned himself to thinking, well, you know what, this is just it. This is all I'm ever going to be. This is all I'm ever going to be able to do. I mean, every day I'm just going to get dragged here and placed in front of this gate, and I'm just going to beg for the rest of my life. I'm never going to be whole again. You know, I'm sure he kind of just resigned himself after this long time that he was never going to change. Luke tells us something interesting. He says, the name of the gate that this man is brought to is the gate called Beautiful. And the reason they called it beautiful is pretty obvious. It was the most beautiful gate of the gates there at the temple. Now, it's important to note there were several gates or entrances to the temple. Uh, Here is a picture of what the temple would have looked like uh, and where the beautiful gate was located. Uh, The Jewish historian Josephus describes this particular gate this way. He says, it was made of fine Corinthian brass, 75 feet high with huge double doors, so beautiful that it greatly excelled those that were only covered with silver and gold. And so here's this beautiful gate that's there. And here's the important part. See, people have a choice as to what gate they're going to go through. And the majority of people would choose to, hey, we want to go through the beautiful gate. We want to go through this amazing 75-foot-high Corinthian brass gate. And so the, the foot traffic into the temple, this would have been the place where it was greatest. Now, the reason that I bring this up is because, you know, this lame man who for his living begs, you know, when you're begging, location is key. You know, you see people in Houston all the time begging and, you know, the prime locations are the intersection where there's a lot of traffic, where there's a lot of cars. Why? Because the more people that pass by, the more likelihood you have of getting someone to give you money. And so here we have this man, he's at the gate called Beautiful, and all these people are passing him by day after day, and they give him money to help him survive. But now this new day comes, and Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray, and they choose this day to go through the Beautiful Gate, and they come and and encounter this lame man. And I want you to see the response that they give to this man as they see him. Verses 4 through 7 says this, And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from him. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have to you, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. There are four things here that Peter and John do that I want us to take note of as we think of how we should respond to those who are broken, to those who are hopeless, to those who are lost. The first thing to note about Peter and John's response is when this man is, uh, they, they come to this man, notice we're told that Peter and John fix their eyes on him. Now, this Greek word here that is translated fix, it means to look intently upon someone, to fasten one's eyes upon. So notice Peter and John, they didn't just glance at him and look away. They really fixed their eyes. They were intently looking at this man and seeing him and seeing the need that he had. 
You know, an important principle for us to understand is before we can be used by God to meet a need, we have to see it. You know, too often, we miss needs around us because we're so focused on ourselves and so focused on our own life, and, and we just kind of have these blinders that are really selfish blinders. It's just all about me and where I'm going and what I'm doing, that we kind of just tune ourselves out to the needy around us, tune ourselves out to the world around us and what's going on around us. And so often, we miss needs that are right there in front of us because we're not able or willing to just intently look and say, what's going on in people's lives? What's happening that I could actually be used by God to help and be an impact for them? Notice that Peter and John, the reason they're going to the temple, we're told in verse 1, is to pray. So here they're doing this religious thing, this godly thing, this important thing. But they didn't let that keep them from stopping and meeting this need. They could have said, you know what? Hey, yeah, I've seen this guy before, whatever. We got more important spiritual things to do. We got to go pray. I mean, that's what we're here to do. And, and you know what? Maybe we'll talk to this guy or, or try to help this guy another time. No, they didn't allow these other things to stop them from meeting the need that was right in front of them. You know, when I first became a pastor, I sometimes saw the needs of people as a distraction to spiritual things, especially, you know, preparing for teaching. You know, there would be times I'd be in the midst of preparing for a teaching and someone would come to my house or call me. And, you know, early on in my pastoral, you know, time, I would get frustrated, like, oh, you're distracting me from my preparation. And the Lord just challenged me. I didn't bring you here just to teach people. I brought you here to invest in them and help them and help me their needs and so never see them as a distraction because they're the reason why I brought you here to begin with and I think sometimes you know we can see people as a distraction we might use spiritual things as the reason or we might use practical things but we shouldn't see people as a distraction you know Jesus when he was here on this earth he was never too busy for people he, he always made time for people always made time for the needs that they had and if we want to be like him we need to be those who aren't too busy to stop and see and help meet the needs of the people that God places in our life. We need to be willing to look intently, as we see here with Peter and John, at the needs of others. So the first thing I want you to note here in Peter and John as they respond to this broken, hopeless, and lost man is they look intently at him and they see his need and they stop to do something about it. And this is a great example to us in the first way that we should respond to broken, hopeless, and lost people is this. We need to look intently to see the needs of others and then seek to meet those needs. Look intently to see the needs that people have and then seek to meet it. Don't just say, oh yeah, I can see you're needy and then move on. But actually, hey, I see the need and how can God use me to be a part of meeting your need? There are so many needs around us that I think we're just unaware of because we're not looking or because we're so preoccupied with ourselves that we miss great opportunities that God would love to use us to help impact others for Christ. The second thing to note about Peter and John's response to this hopeless man in need is they get this man's attention. We're told that Peter says to him, hey, look at me and John. And as the lame man did this, he expects to receive something. Well, now that Peter and John have this man's attention, 
And this man is expecting something that they take this opportunity to point this man to Jesus. And, and this is another great example for us on how to respond to broken, hopeless, and lost people. When we seek to meet the needs of others, it's important to first get their attention so we can tell them why we're meeting their need and point them to Jesus. You know, if you feel the Lord leading you to give to someone, whether it's your time, whether it's money, whether it's some kind of resource, you feel like the Lord's saying to give, you know, make sure you get their attention and make sure you tell them why. Don't just kind of throw some money at them and move away. I mean, that's kind of pointless in the sense of they have no connection with who you are, why you're doing this, what's motivating you to give to them. You know, you want not to leave with them connecting just to you. Oh, wow, that person's so generous. That's not the goal, hopefully. The goal shouldn't be that person's so generous. The goal should be, wow, God loves me so much that he sent this person here to meet my need, and this person got to share Jesus' love with me, and hopefully they're connecting what you have just done with the love of God and Jesus Christ, not with, you're a generous person, you're so kind, you're so wonderful. It shouldn't be that they leave with how great you are. You want them to leave with how great God is. When I was in Scotland, first year I was there, I, I volunteered to help this Christian group. And uh, Scotland had a big homeless population there in Glasgow, the city I was ministering in. Uh, and it was called Loaves and Fishes. And, you know, I was excited to go out. And it was a really cold night. And I knew these guys and girls were hungry. And so we had all this food. And as the volunteers gathered together, you know, the person who's overseeing this comes up and just says, I, I want you to know our policy here is, you know, we don't want to talk about Jesus' love. We just want to show it. And so we're just going to give them food and let our actions, you know, display the love that we have. And so uh, we go out and I was a rebellious volunteer because I did talk about Jesus love and I shared with them why we were there and the purpose of why I was doing this. And the sad reality was some of these homeless people were receiving food from this group for years and never connected the fact that they were Christians, never connected the fact that they were doing this on behalf of Jesus Christ, never heard the gospel. And so as I shared, hey, we're here because we love Jesus and he loves you and we want to share this with you and give this to you. It was like, whoa, this group's been doing this for so long, I never knew. And so sad that they missed so many opportunities to impact this group, to, to share the love of Jesus and to connect with what they're doing to what Jesus had called them to do. And so as we get these people in our lives who have needs, we want to get their attention and ultimately we want to point them to what Jesus is doing. But the most important thing to note here is, is notice what Peter and John give to this man in verse six. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So Peter gets this man's attention, and I'm sure this man, he's so used to it, people probably got his attention all the time, he's expecting to receive some alms, some money from Peter, just like everybody else did, uh, give him money to support him in the condition he was in, but you know what, God wanted to do something far better. God didn't want to support this man in the condition he was in, God wanted to change his condition completely. I want you to notice that the world was unable to meet this broken, hopeless, and lost man's need, both physically and spiritually. All they could do is kind of just support him in the condition that he was in, just kind of give him enough to survive with his 
problems. The world just gave him temporary relief, but they could not cure his lameness. They could not change his condition physically, and they had no power to change his condition spiritually. You see, the world is full of activity. It can try to help you politically. It can try to help you socially. It can try to help you educationally. And oftentimes, it will just try to entertain you in your misery and hurt, but it has no ability to help you spiritually. It has no ability to give you the miracle that you need. You see, all throughout the world, all they can do is just support us in the spiritual and physical condition we're in. But God wants to change our condition. He wants to take people from darkness to light. He wants to take people from spiritual death to spiritual life. He wants to take people who are hopeless and bring them the hope that only comes through Jesus Christ. And something we need to understand is that believers... In Jesus Christ, we have the ability to do something the world can't. You see, the world has no capacity to help those the way that they need it, but we know where the help comes from. We know where to point people. We know the one who is the source of hope, the one who did save, the one who can bring wholeness to our lives. We can point them and share with them the gospel and let them know what Jesus has done. So Peter says he doesn't have any money to give to this man, and I can imagine this man thinking, oh, you don't care about me. You won't support me. You don't really care about the mess that I'm in. But Peter and John don't want to support this man in his mess. They want to see God transform his life through the power of the risen Christ. They want to see this man completely healed and changed. Adam Clark said this, It is not the church's business in this world to simply make the present condition more bearable. The task of the church is to release here on earth the redemptive work of God in Christ. You know, as believers, we shouldn't just be focused on making people's present condition more bearable. Because, you know what, who cares if they have more warmth or more food or more, you know, whatever physically, if they're still going to die and go to hell? Because if their eternity doesn't change, then what have we really done for them? And I get frustrated so often with, you know, different missions and different things where it's just, we're just going to meet physical needs, but we do nothing to actually share with someone how their spiritual need can be met. And so we build places for them, we feed them, we dig wells we do these things but yet we don't share the gospel Uh, we don't tell them how they can actually be saved and so yeah they might have a better life here on this earth but they're still going to die and go to hell and so we've missed the most important thing of all you know better for them to be starving and cold and have a relationship with jesus christ so that when they die they go to eternity in heaven than to be well fed and warm and die and go to hell and we miss the point so often that we're not just here to make people physically comfortable We're here ultimately to bring the changing work of Christ through the power of the gospel. So Peter starts by telling this broken, hopeless, and lost man that he and John don't have any silver and gold to give him. But notice what he says we do have. But what I do have, I'm going to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Peter had something much more valuable than silver and gold. He had much more valuable. He had Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, for some people to say, we don't have any silver and gold, that's like the the worst possible thing to say. They feel that the church is in ruins. If it must say, silver and gold, I do not have. 
You know, there's a story of a a humble monk walking with a uh, Roman Catholic cardinal. This was in the Middle Ages when the Roman Catholic Church was at its zenith of power and prestige and wealth. The cardinal pointed to the opulent surroundings and said to the monk, Hey, we no longer have to say silver and gold I do not have. The monk replied, But neither can you say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Sadly, there are churches today that are just so focused on money and wealth and they miss that we actually are here for something far bigger and that we have something to offer that is far greater and that is Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Too often the church tries to give what this world wants instead of giving them what they need. This world wants to be entertained, and so we say, well, let's entertain them. Well, no, let's not. Let's give them what they need. They need the gospel. They need the word of God. They need to see the power of the Holy Spirit move in their life. So Peter and John offer this hopeless man a wonderful, miraculous touch from Jesus. And once again, this is a great example to us. The third way we should respond to a broken, hopeless, and lost person is we need to recognize that we have the most valuable thing to offer those in need, which is Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I've come across many Christians who have thought they don't have anything to offer this world. And that is so far from the truth. Every Christian has two of the most vital things to offer this world, Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that now dwells within them. Jenny and I just got done reading uh, an amazing book to our girls. I highly recommend it. It's called Bruchko. Uh, it's the story of a missionary named Bruce Olson uh, who goes to the unreached Multilone Indians in Colombia. And I love the story because it starts as uh, Bruce is 19 years old. He feels this call of God to go to this unreached, violent, no one went around these Indians. Anyone who ever did never came back alive. And he felt this burden to go there. He wasn't trained as a missionary. You know, he didn't have support. There were all these things that you could say, I don't have. But what he did have was Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And God led him, and he went, and he lived with these Indians for years. And during that time, he learns their language that no one outside of those tribes ever knew. And as he learns their language, he's finally able to communicate the gospel to them. And then he starts to translate uh, first the gospel of Mark, and then Philippians, and then some other books. And this multilone tribe of savage Indians starts to get saved, and almost the whole tribe accepts Christ. And then this huge change, because all the Indian tribes around them feared them because they would kill all the tribes around them. And so they start going into the villages of these other Indian tribes who are thinking they're coming to kill us, but instead they were coming to bring the gospel. And all these tribes start accepting the gospel. And it all was because one guy recognized, I have Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit. Isn't that enough? for God to use me, for God to do something through me. And God uses him in an amazing, miraculous way. And and you see this through the Bible. You see this through so many different, you know, people in church history and missionaries of how God is just able to take what we have, which most importantly is the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and do amazing things through our life. This world is in desperate need of a miraculous touch from Jesus, both physically and spiritually. We need to recognize we have what we need, what they need in order to help them 
where they're at. We can tell them and point them to Jesus Christ. So Peter tells this hopeless man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And notice what he does next because it's very important and significant. Verse 7. And Peter took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now, it's one thing to boldly say, you know what, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And just kind of step back and say, all right, go ahead, get up, do it. Something all the more bold to grab the guy by the hand and lift him up. Because guess what? If the Holy Spirit doesn't heal this man, you let go, he's going to fall back down. This crowd of people is going to think you're the biggest jerk ever. I mean, why would you do this to this guy? Why would you claim this? Why would you lift him up just to drop him down again? I mean, it takes a boldness, a, a big act of faith that we see here. I'm confident that the Holy Spirit led Peter to say, you know what, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. But Peter then had to act in faith. And he goes and in faith lifts this man, believing that he truly was going to be healed by the Spirit of God. And once again, this is a great example to us. The fourth way we should respond to broken, hopeless, and lost people's needs is when the Holy Spirit leads us to meet someone's need, we need to act in faith and follow his leading. I think the Holy Spirit is constantly leading and directing and wanting us to take steps and follow him. He wants to use us. Too often, we don't know how to hear the voice of God or we're not in tune with what he's saying. But even when we are, oftentimes we're just not willing to take the step of faith that's necessary. God says, I want you to do this or, or I want you to reach out to this person. I want you to share the gospel with that person or I want you to pray over this person. Oh, I don't know, God. We're not willing to actually put it into action. We're not willing to take that step of faith and say, all right, Lord, I trust what you're doing. I trust what you're saying and I'm going to allow you to move through my life. It takes faith. It takes trust. And God wants us to put that into action. So Peter tells this man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walks. He takes him by the hand. He lifts him up. And immediately his ankle bones are healed and strong. And, and notice now how this broken man, this hopeless man, this lost man, who now has been made physically whole, who now has hope. Notice how he responds in verse 8. So he leaped up stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. We're told three things here that this man who once was broken and hopeless and lost does is God does a miracle. God changes his circumstances, changes what's going on. First, notice he attaches himself to the apostles. He entered the temple with them. So they do this and then they continue on with why they were there. They went to go pray. And so God moves through them and then they go into the temple and this guy stays with them. And I think this is a great thing for people who just come to the Lord to remember of the importance of staying connected with believers. When God does something supernatural, when God, the greatest supernatural work of God is salvation. And when God moves to stay connected with believers so they can encourage and, and build you up in your relationship with the Lord. Secondly, this man immediately started to use what God had given him. He was walking and leaping. 
I mean, he's never walked in his life. It's kind of amazing to think he didn't have to learn it. You know, God heals him and then boom, he's up jumping around and he's so excited that he has the capacity to to use his legs, which he's never done for 40 years. And, you know, God does this. And it's a great thing to see this man immediately using what God had given him. And, you know, I think when God saves us, he gives us a wonderful privilege, a relationship with him. And so often we neglect using it taking advantage of it, spending time with him. God gives us gifts, and he wants us to use those gifts for his glory. And he's like, here's a gift. I want to give it to you. It's supernatural. It's wonderful. And we don't use it for his glory. Or God heals us like this man, and you're sick and in bed, and you're healed, and now you have the physical capacity to get up and do things. And God says, good, I want you to use the physical blessing that I've given you for my glory. And we don't. And so this is a great challenge for us that as God does something that we respond and use it for him. Thirdly, this man began to praise and worship God. You know, whenever God does something for us, this should be our response. A response of praise, a response of worship, whether it's salvation, whether it's physical healing, whether it's just blessing in different ways that God always does. You know, it should bring us to a place where we recognize it, where we praise God for it, where we worship him because he is worthy of it. So the lame man has this great response, but there's people who are seeing this, the people who are gathered there in the temple, and let's note their response as well. Verses 9 and 10 says this, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew it was he who had sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You know, the temple was kind of not a place where you see people leaping around very often. I mean, if someone was leaping around this morning, that would draw attention, and it drew attention there in the temple. You know, who's this guy jumping around here? I mean, this isn't a place for running and jumping around, especially a 40-year-old man. And then they all of a sudden recognize, well, wait a second. This is the guy that we've been passing for the last 40 years, the guy that's been begging for alms who was a cripple. He is jumping around. Look at God has healed him. And they were filled with astonishment. They were filled with amazement at what God had done for this man. But I want you to recognize all of these wonderful things happen. The astonishment of the crowd, the the, the change in the life of this man, because Peter and John were willing to respond to a broken and hopeless and lost man in the way that God desired them to. And something that really stood out to me as I was going through this is to see the difference in Peter. The difference in how Peter responds now at this point in time in his life to someone who's broken, to someone who's lost, to someone who's hopeless. Because if you go through the the Gospels, that's not the Peter you see. Peter was a very prideful person in the Gospels. We're told that he regularly argued with the other disciples about who was the greatest. Basically, Peter's saying, I'm the greatest. I'm better than you. This is something that, that he dealt with. And you know, at the night that Jesus is arrested, the night that right before Jesus is crucified, Jesus tells Peter something that he doesn't want. He tells actually all the disciples, you're going to leave and scatter. And Peter says, hey, even if all these other guys go, Jesus, I'm not going. I'll stick with you. I'll fight for you. I would die for you. Ultimately, Peter's saying, you know what? I'm better than these guys. They might flee. They might run. They might be scared. Not me. I'll be able to be with you. I'll be by your side. I'll give my life. I'm better than them. Peter was an arrogant guy. He thought more highly of himself than he should. And we know how that night ends for him. 
Peter, the man who thought he was going to be so strong for the Lord, ends up denying him three times. And we're told right after that, he goes out and weeps bitterly. Peter is now faced with the reality of his own weakness, faced with the reality of his own sin, and he is humbled in a way that you don't want to have to be humbled, but it was a good thing for him. But he was broken at that point in time. And in his weakness and in his sin, Jesus comes and meets with him. And Jesus restores him. Jesus forgives him. Jesus says, I want to use you now. Go feed my sheep. And I believe it was at that point in time that we see a very big change in how Peter now saw others. The man who used to compete with others is now compassionate towards them. Instead of thinking he was better than others, he sympathized with their weaknesses. Why? Because he realized, I have them as well. I struggle like they do. I'm weak like they are. Instead of, I'm so much better, I'm greater than you, it was now, no, I see what I really am. I'm a weak, sinful man. And the only reason I have anything is because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. You know, I think there's two important things we need to remember if we're going to respond properly to broken, hopeless, and lost people. First, we need to remember how broken, hopeless, and lost we were, and in many respects, in our sinful state that we are in now. And secondly, we need to remember it's only because of what Jesus has done for us that we are now whole, hopeful, and saved. When it comes to reaching this lost world, remember a statement that's so commonly made, except for the grace of God, there go I. Except for God's grace, that would be me. And I think so often our response is, oh, how could they? How could the sinful world sin? You know, how could they get involved in that instead of, oh, how much they need Jesus and how can God use me to reach them? Except for God's grace in my life, that would be me doing those things, following that path, lost and broken like I used to be before I came to Christ. It's been said we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to get food. We're just one sinner telling another sinner where you can find salvation from your sin in Jesus Christ. The difference is we know Jesus, we found the salvation in Jesus, and the world hasn't. That's the main difference. We want to think we're so much greater and grander and better, but the main difference is, hey, we're still sinful, just like them, but we have Jesus and a relationship with Jesus and the power of the Spirit within us. But you know what? To have this mindset of like, oh, this world, how come they do this? I mean, I'm shocked at Christians who think, wow, how can the world sin? It's like, well, what do we expect sinners to do but sin? They have no capacity to stop until they come to know Christ. So instead of judging them for all they're doing, why don't we go actually meet the need and tell them the one thing that's going to change their life, the gospel, because that's how they're going to change. That's how they're going to become whole. That's how their life is going to be saved. And we have the message that they're so desperately in need of. So one of the best ways to prepare ourselves to respond to broken and hopeless and lost people is to remember what we were before we accepted Jesus and what Jesus has done for us through his sacrifice on the cross. And I want to close not only this message, but I think it'd be great just to close this year as it's the final day of 2017. Let's take time to remember both those things. We're going to remember what we once were, 
our lost state, how we used to live, how hopeless we were, how broken we were before we came to Christ. And I want us to remember what he did for us, what Jesus did by dying on the cross for our sins, by rising from the dead to conquer sin and death, by changing us and making us a new creation. And we're going to do that by partaking of communion together. And so I'm going to have the worship team come on up and we're going to have um, them lead us in a song as the elements are going to be passed out. And before we do that, I just want to read a passage of scripture as we prepare ourselves to take communion together. It says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.